Well, good morning. My name is Taylor Reevely. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, right now, I am leading New Life Church's work to plant a new church in Oregon City. And I don't know what you think of when you think of church planting. What do you think that looks like? How do you expect that should go? Maybe you imagined church planting would look like falling off a log and it would just happen. Perhaps you thought that our homes would overflow as people were drawn in to hear the news of the kingdom proclaimed inside. Or perhaps you thought maybe we should buy a building and start some really cool, relevant, hip church gatherings and people would just flock to us. Well, after six months now, I can tell you, it's not how it goes. It's not been like falling off a log. No, the reality is just when we have been encouraged that one person that we've been praying for steps out and, and joins us at an apple cider press party, another person we've been praying for calls in sick. Just when we've had a, a significant spiritual conversation with a neighbor, another neighbor walks up with some really uh, wacky ideas about spiritual things and just derails the whole conversation. Just when we've had some traction bringing someone into one of our life groups, they ghost us. Just when we are encouraged that in these few months, 10 people have joined our life groups, we could easily think of the 200 that we have been inviting regularly who have yet to respond. Now, I, I think those explosive and expansive imaginations about what life in the kingdom would look like are not inconceivable, because that's a little bit how I imagine the kingdom would work, like falling off a log. Arguably, that's how Jesus' disciples also believed the kingdom would work. Imagine, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Imagine that the king of the kingdom is standing in the room. The church planter is here to usher in his kingdom. Surely, they expected that as he ushered in this kingdom, it would be like falling off a log. Surely, as he ushered in this kingdom, their enemies would be overwhelmed Jesus would establish his rule and every person on earth would submit to his reign like that. Well, that's not how it works. That's not how it worked when Jesus was here. That's not how it works today. The kingdom of heaven is, is unsuspecting. It does not grow or look as we imagine it to be. This morning, we will listen to the words of another parable about a sower and a field. And Jesus' aim in this parable is to instruct about the nature of the kingdom and to cultivate patience in his followers, an expectation of slowness, if you will. So would you please open your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. It's the first book of the New Testament about halfway through, <clears throat> and I'll begin reading in verse 24. 
he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat into my barn. Now, before we get into understanding the interpretation of this parable, I want to make sure that we understand the story itself, the parable itself that Jesus is telling. And in verse 24, it begins with Jesus putting another parable before the crowds. If you've been with us for a couple weeks now, you've picked up that a parable is a story. It's a story about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's a tool by which Jesus is doing two things in one group of people. He is illuminating the realities of the kingdom of heaven to to some, and he is darkening or clouding the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to others. It is not merely uh, a metaphor or a fable or an allegory or even a good sermon illustration, because good sermon illustrations don't need to be explained. So Jesus could speak the truth of the kingdom into a crowd. And some would hear and understand, and others would hear just a simple metaphor. And when he opens his mouth and puts this parable before them, he says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, you can almost picture like the silhouette of the bad guy in the cartoon sneaking through the fields at night and Jesus sitting there telling, just painting this vivid picture. Now, it, it, it might sound like a, just a hypothetical, a strange event that someone would sneak through the night and plant weeds in someone's wheat field. But there was actually uh, an ancient Roman law that spoke to revengefully sowing darnel, which was a wheat-like weed, oh my goodness, a wheat-like weed among a wheat field. And this crime was punishable under the law. So it wasn't just some scenario that Jesus pulled out of his imagination of some enemy sneaking in the night and planting weeds in a wheat field. This is actually something they may have experienced. But either way, there's an enemy, a bad guy, who is using ancient warfare to mess with the sower by messing with his field. So when the plants come up and they bear grain, then the weeds appeared also. Listen, until this point, until the grain has been shown on the head of the wheat stalk, Nothing the intruder had done was obvious. 
It was only when the ears of wheat began to appear and the, and the plant produced a crop or literally made fruit that it was obvious that some of the plants were not wheat. Before that, the weeds and the wheat may have even looked the same until the fruit was on the stalk. So when this, the, the, the crop grows, the servants of the master, in verse 27, came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? The workers, along with the sower, are surprised by the sheer quantity of weeds in the midst of the field. They ask two questions. The first one is here. Their first question is basically, why are there so many weeds in this field? And that's a reasonable question. Now, our agricultural experience probably takes us to our veggie garden where we're planting a row of peas. And if you're planting a row of peas, this doesn't help. You can look at each pea, weed or not weed, and put it in the ground. Weed or not weed, and put it, no one sows weeds intentionally. But really, this is a little bit more of a picture of, of seeding your lawn, where you pick up the 100-pound bag of grass seed from uh, the farm store, and on it there's a little label that boasts something like 99.99% weed-free, guaranteed. And so you take the seed and you broadcast it. Now, not knowing what happened, the workers here, the only assumption they can make is that the master chose to plant a seed with a label that said 50% weed-free. And they just don't get it. Well, the master, the sower, responds to them. He says, an enemy has done this. The careful master knows precisely where the weeds have come from. While the servants were sleeping, he wasn't. While the servants are surprised, he isn't. While the servants are frustrated that their labor might be all for naught, he isn't. And he didn't make a mistake. So the servants asked their second question in the end of verse 28. Then do you want us to go and gather them? Or really, what do you want us to do about all these weeds? We should fix this. This field looks ridiculous. Now, if, if I was the sower, I would have said, go pick them 30 minutes a day till they're all gone. Now, yeah, and the weird guy in the lawn like with a stick digging out the dandelions that like creep up in the grass According to the sower, that is not the right solution here. The sower, unlike me, is patient. He says in verse 29, No, don't pull them. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the, weed, the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Early one summer, I accepted a neighbor's invitation to help pull the newly sprouted weeds out of my newly sprouted vegetable garden. And I had planted a row of basil 
I was very excited about fresh basil all summer. And I waited about a month or two, and there was no basil growing in my garden. I waited another month, just being patient, really patient, and there was still no basil in my garden. And the tomatoes were ripe, and the mozzarella was fresh, and there was no basil in my garden. And I wondered where it had gone, and it occurred to me, when these little basil seedlings and the little weed seedlings were right next to each other, they looked exactly the same. And they got weeded months ago. And this is the concern the master has. You won't even be able to tell. At this point, you can't even tell what is weed and what is a wheat. Be patient. It will become obvious soon. Notice here in the story the sower's concern for his wheat. The weeds seem like an inconvenience. They're kind of the sign of a bad farmer as if there are weeds in your field. But the master's response is the only one that would guarantee the full harvest of wheat. He's determined to see every grain of wheat brought into the barn where it belongs. And in the coming day of harvest, it'll be easy to tell the difference and do the sorting then. And then, in that future day, he will deal with the weeds. Well, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Imagine you are a disciple in the crowd. You, you hear this story, and you now realize that you know the official secrets of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it plain? The kingdom is it's like that. Well, if you are puzzled or scratching your head, wondering, what, is, what does this mean? You're not alone. Continue with me in verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. There are a few things and few interpretive helps on the surface here before we dive into Jesus' interpretation. The first is that last week, if you were with us, we talked about another parable of a sower and some seed in a field. But you need to notice that the seed that is sown in this parable is not the, seed, the same seed that is sown in the previous parable, nor is the field the same as that of the field. 
nor is the weeds the same as those thorns and thistles that choke out the seed in the previous parable. And that's important because one of the difficulties with understanding the parables of Jesus is when we conflate meanings, importing meaning from another parable or teaching into our understanding of this story. These are simple stories. And that doesn't work the same way in the parable as it does with a logical syllogism. The other thing you need to know before we can rightly understand and interpret this parable is that if we can, it will be because we have received God's blessing to have ears to hear. Just as Jesus is telling a story intended to illuminate for some the realities of the kingdom and darken for others, we, are, we cannot depend on our intellect or our systematic study method to open our eyes. Instead, we're dependent here on the blessing of God. In verse 16 of Matthew chapter 13, it says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So if we interpret and understand this parable, if it makes sense to us, the kingdom of God, it is a gift from Him. And so we interpret humbly. Now, in the interpretation that Jesus has just provided for us, it cannot be mistaken. It is clear that because the sower, the Son of Man, Jesus, is patient, the sons of the kingdom will live patiently until the day of judgment. Because the sower is patient, his people are patient as they wait for the fullness of the kingdom. Now, Jesus basically draws a connection between the parable and the interpretation one-to-one. It's almost an equal sign between them. The one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field, the world. The good seed, the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil, the harvest, the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. You may notice, however... There's one person mentioned in the parable that is not given an interpretation in Jesus' answer. The workers, the servants, the ones that are laboring alongside the sower in the work of this field. And it's those two, the workers that ask the two questions. Where are all these weeds come from? What are we going to do about these weeds? And it appears as though this is the crux. This is the aim of the parable. Jesus is anticipating and answering these kinds of questions for those who work alongside him in his kingdom. You could say that these are the questions that we are asking as we're planting a church. These are the questions we're asking as we long to see the church take root and serve its community. These are the questions we ask as we long to see the whole world embrace the way of Jesus. Because life in the kingdom would be easier, faster, bigger, stronger, if the kingdom exploded. Now, I want to tell you the story again, this time with Jesus' meaning included, to see if this helps. Here is the sense, in my own words, of the parable. 
in ushering the kingdom of heaven, Jesus has come, planting people of the kingdom in the world. These people are citizens of the kingdom and they follow the king. In the same world, the devil has also planted people of the evil one. These people are those who reject God and do not follow the king. And they coexist side by side in the same world. Those who work alongside Jesus in the kingdom are perplexed by this coexistence and question, why does the kingdom not come in power and wipe out all opposition? What are we going to do with all the evil ones and enemies of the kingdom? And Jesus answers them, saying, be patient. Wait until the last day. On that day it will be clear who belongs to the kingdom and who does not. I will send my angels. Those who do not belong to the kingdom will be thrown into the fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who belong to the kingdom will be brought into the fullness of the kingdom and will experience unmixed, unadulterated delight radiating like the sun in the presence of the Father. This parable, with an awful lot of help from Jesus, reveals three things about the nature of the kingdom. It reveals first the nature of the king, the second the nature of the kingdom itself, and the third is the nature of those who belong to the kingdom. Consider with me the nature of the king is revealed here in this parable. This is the first uh, reality of the kingdom of heaven. Life is defined by the king of the kingdom and the king of the kingdom is patient. His patience is is not a sign of his impotence or his ambivalence. No, rather it is actually a manifestation. It's a consequence of those two, of his strength, his sovereignty, that he rules over the field and his affection for his people. Consider this, the king is the all-sovereign. The enemy sneaks in in the night and he is not threatened by it. He's not surprised that his people live in the midst of the enemy's people. None of that surprises him or frustrates him. Because he possesses that authority and power, we would be right to expect that he then would get busy pulling the weeds out of the field. We would, ex- we would be right to expect this thorough purification of the field, that it would shine and be the standard of all fields. We would expect that the king of kings would march in, ushering in his kingdom with power, and that that power would then be given to his people who live in his kingdom. We would be right to expect that marching into a new city with the good news of the kingdom would be like falling off of a log. But in all of that sense of rightness, we would be wrong. The king is saying, this is not the way of the kingdom because it's not the way of the king. He is all sovereign, yes, but oh, how he loves and is full of affection for his people. Now is not the time for the weeding. Because there are 
precious little stalks of wheatgrass that look just like the weeds next to them, but which are still maturing and will one day bear fruit in the kingdom. And he cannot bring himself to uproot or crush one of them. He will not lose one grain of wheat. There will be no collateral damage. None of his own will be lost. Those two working together, his, his rule and sovereignty and his affection, produce then his patience. He does not act rashly. He is calculated. He is not frustrated, for he knows the day is coming when he will come with power. He is not concerned. He is certain. He's not slow. He's patient. So he can wait. He can care for the wheat while it grows in a field of weeds. It is his patience which is common grace for the field, for weeds and wheat alike. He causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on both. It is his patience that allows the weeds and the wheat to mature, showing their true nature. It is his patience that also allows the weeds to be transformed into wheat, bearing fruit in his kingdom. Uh, lest you think he sits idly by, I'll remind you of two words you sung in the first song this morning. He is unresting and unhasting. Now the second right side up reality of the kingdom of heaven in this parable that we see is that just as a seed does not grow and instantly bear fruit, so the kingdom does not instantaneously come in the fullness of its power and might. We call this the already not yet reality of the kingdom. The kingdom is already here among us, but it has not yet come in full. The seeds of the kingdom have been planted. They're growing slowly. And they will bear fruit one day. But this kingdom will not look like any other earthly kingdom which rises and falls with an immediate transfer of power and dominance. While that is true about the kingdom, that it is already here and yet not yet fully realized, that's not true of the king. He's not sitting there waiting for the power levels in his, the corner of his screen to boost so he can act. He, he's not sitting there watching the dragon, waiting for it to show some vulnerability so he can attack. The dragon's head has already been crushed. He is simply patient. The kingdom is already here, but it is not yet realized in full, and it does not look as you would expect it to look. 
So then the third reality in this right-side-up view of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is communicating in this parable concerns the nature of those who belong to the kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom are patient because their king is patient. In this, okay, this already but not yet tension of the kingdom, it is so easy to be frustrated anxious, worried, fearful, discouraged, even envious of life outside of the kingdom? Why is there still so much evil in the world? Why is there an affront to the good news of Jesus at every turn? Why does the mission of Jesus face so much opposition? Why is planting a church hard? Why do God's enemies seem to have such good lives? All of these questions are ones that citizens of an already but not yet kingdom wrestle with. The answer to those questions is because Jesus is patient. So how then do these citizens of the kingdom live and follow their patient king? Well, we will reflect on what we know about the king of this kingdom, that he is sovereign. The citizens of the kingdom trust their sovereign king. Sovereignty is something we Americans have been raised to resist. In fact, we formed over our mutual rebellion against a king. But as citizens in the kingdom, our allegiance is to the king of kings. And to be with Him is the safest, most sure place to be. Against Him is the most dangerous and reckless place you can be. So you can trust Jesus, that He knows what He's doing with the world He created and sustains and upholds with His word of power. You can trust Jesus that his kingdom is not thwarted or threatened by evil. Because he is sovereign, you can trust him. Not only can you trust in his strength, but also you can delight in his love. He's not just sovereign ruling over the field until the day of harvest. He's also full of love. He demonstrates his love as Jordan read a moment ago, by dying in our place even when we were his enemies. In broad strokes, God loves people. He loves his field. But in a unique way, God loves his own. They are the ones granted the rights and privileges of the kingdom. They are the ones that are invited to sit on the lap of the one who sits on the throne. So don't just know about the love of God in your head. Delight in His love for His people. So as now the citizens trust in their sovereign king, delight in His love for them, they also wait with the patience of the king. Just as the king bides his time, so his people bide their time. 
just as he can patiently wait for the fullness of time and the fullness of the kingdom, so we can patiently wait for that day, enduring all opposition, persisting in doing good, for the day of fullness is coming. The idea of patience being one of the formative virtues of the church is perhaps one of the oldest virtues ever written to the church. Um, as soon as the, the early church was formed, Jesus had ascended, the church fathers began writing letters of encouragement to other churches in their area. Alan Crider in his book, Patient Ferment, notes that patience was the first virtue the early church fathers encouraged in their writing. Patience was the hallmark of the early church. It was the countercultural way by which they lived. They believed they were simply and faithfully to follow the way of Jesus with their whole life. They called that way, that wholeness of life, their habitus. It informed their thoughts and attitudes and affections and actions. Every part of life was lived patiently and faithfully without frenzy or hurry or grasp for power. They were patient in their work, patient in their cities, patient in their persecution, patient in their evangelism, because every Christian everywhere saw that their ordinary patient life was a witness to the king of the kingdom. Everything was brought into order around the king and the way of the king. And, and it was during this time in the early church that the church exploded under the thumb of the Roman emperor. Just like a juice, when it is fermenting slowly over time, builds pressure until it explodes. Now, just as the king is is patient, but he is not passive. His people are patient, but they are not passive. This way of life, the life orbiting Jesus, is not passive. It, re it will require active dependence on God. Patient people are praying people who show up and pray the same prayers every day until God moves. Patient people rest because Jesus is upholding the universe whether or not you are sleeping. So trust His sovereignty. Rest in His love and be patient as you participate with Him in the expansion of the kingdom. Now all of that talk of patience begs a question. What is the king patient for? What is he waiting on? How long must these people of the kingdom be patient, and to what end? Now, I save this for last because Jesus saves this for last as well. The sower, Jesus, is patient. So the sons of the kingdom live patiently until the day of judgment. The end of the age, the day of harvest, the day when Jesus sends his angels to gather and separate those who belong to the kingdom and those who do not, that day is coming. Now remember, Jesus has 
spoke in this parable to the crowds. He's not withheld this warning or this good news from anyone. The weeds, in fact, are already mixed in with the wheat. There are people who have ears who hear, and there are people who have ears who do not hear the words of this parable. And in its interpretation, Jesus describes the fate of the weeds and the wheat in turn, this day which they are patient toward. Look with me again at verse 40 of chapter 13. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus is addressing real people. He's talking to the causes of sin, or literally the ones who stumble and the ones who reject and disobey God's law. The same one as the sons of the evil one. He's actually talking to them. And when he's talking about a fiery furnace, he's not using hyperbolic language either. He's speaking of a real place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. A real place, void of the creator and sustainer of life. Now, this, this parable is not intended to cause you then to hear it and shake your fist at God and say, why did you let me be a weed? I didn't have a say in that. Nor is its intent to give you reason just to sh shrug and accept defeat. Once a weed, always a weed. You're supposed to hear these words and say, I don't, I don't want to be a weed. And there's good news right here. Because God is patient, there is opportunity for Him to transform weeds into wheat. The weed cannot change its own nature. It will grow and do as it does. But Jesus can change the nature of the wheat that it might be brought into the barns, into the presence of Jesus himself. 2 Peter 3.9 speaks of the Lord's patience. It says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It is in his patience in dealing with the mixed weed, wheat field that he has provided the means by which you may be saved as wheat and gathered into his barn. John 3.16 declares that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish like the weeds but have eternal life like the wheat. 
So here then in this parable, both a warning and an invitation. God is patient, but He won't be patient forever. God is patient, but He is not tolerant. God is patient, but He won't be tricked by weeds that look like wheat but are not. There is, however, a way, one way, only one way, to be made right with God, to grow and bear fruit in the kingdom. And that is to come to Jesus, to step step your foot into the kingdom and follow the king. Respond to his love for you with love for him. There's room in the barn for you. Now, when that's true of you, okay, I'm, he's speaking his parable into a mixed audience. When the, some hear the warning and others then, those who have been brought in, who are secure in his love, hear assurance that because of Jesus' patience, they will in fact be gathered into his barn. That because of his patience, they will in fact enjoy life as it was meant to be lived, shining like the sun in the presence of the Father. It will be worth it to hold on to the end. It will be worth it to live patiently and faithfully in the present age. It will be worth it when you are gathered safely and completely into the barn. For then and there, your joy will be complete. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, may these words have the effect that they were intended to have when you spoke them. And may our response be the response you desire. Jesus, I admit that I'm surprised by your patience, at times frustrated that this kingdom that you have brought does not look like the way I want a kingdom to look. Yet this morning, because of your words, we are full of heart. We trust you. May you in this season of patience bring many to yourself, And yes, yes, in the same breath, we pray that we would share in your patience and we pray that you would move and act quickly and that we would see lives turn to you and the kingdom grow. Jesus, come soon, we pray in your name. Amen.